Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Okay, ready? Here we go. All right, so let's uh, open the Bible to Genesis 33. How about that? New chapter. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for inviting us to come into this time in the life of Jacob so that we could benefit from all that you taught him. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Genesis chapter 33, and start here and verse 1, Genesis 33, 1. All right. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him 400 men. And he divided the children unto Leah and unto Rachel and unto the two handmaids. And he put the handmaids and their children foremost and Leah and her children after and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. And he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. And he lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children and said, Who are those with thee? And he said, The children which God hath graciously given thy servant. Then the handmaidens came near, they and their children, and they bowed themselves. And Leah also with her children came near and bowed themselves. After came Joseph near and Rachel, and they bowed themselves. Okay, so quite a scene we've got here in Genesis 33. But, you know, we're, as I said, we're starting off this new chapter, but really before we leave chapter 32, we just want to just sort of just look back on it in an overview, which we haven't done, which looks at Genesis chapter 33 from the aspect of prayer. Because from Genesis 30, did I say 33? I meant 32. Because from Genesis 32, we can see certain principles of prayer as we look back over 32. And there are 11 principles of prayer. 11's not a great number. I don't know why, but that's all I can see. So anyway, there's 11. Okay, the first principle of prayer that we see in Genesis 32, just looking back over it, is the principle of the reliance of prayer. The reliance of prayer. In verse 9 of chapter 32, where just where it says, and Jacob said, oh God. So there is, in prayer, there is a knowledge that there's help in God. And that's a reliance of prayer. That's a turning to God. The second principle we can see in verse 11, when he said, deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. 
That's the principle of the honesty of prayer. You know, not simply the bland, you know, bless him, take care of me, help, but it's an honest statement of, I'm afraid, I'm terrified. And that's what he said when he said, for I fear him. So that's a principle of the honesty of prayer. The third principle we see in verse 10 when he says, I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth, that's the principle of the focus of prayer, which is the focus of prayer is on God's mercy and on God's grace. That's part of the character of God, and that's a focus of prayer. Okay, then in verse 10, when he says, I'm not worthy of the least of all thy mercies. That's the fourth principle. That's the principle of the humility of prayer. That's a statement of personal unworthiness. That's a statement of saying, I don't deserve this. That's humility. That's a principle of the humility of prayer. The next principle is seen in verse 10 when he says, for with my staff I passed over this Jordan and now I become two bands. That's the principle of confession. Confession of prayer. Confession of what? of just helplessness, of no strength. It's not like coming to God and says, well, God, I, you know, I, I can just use a little bit of help. I can really handle this, but you know, uh, yeah, you're welcome to come. No, no. This is a confession of personal helplessness. And so that's the fifth principle. The sixth principle is seen in verse nine where he says, and Jacob said, oh, God of my father, God of my father, my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, and then he goes on, the Lord would said to me, that's the principle of the address of prayer. Sixth principle, the address of prayer. Who are we praying to? Not just God, but the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. Not just God, God has a name, the Lord Jesus Christ, or the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the Lord Jesus Christ, God becomes crystallized into a person. And so this is the principle of the address of prayer. Then we have in verse 9 where he said, Which saidest unto me, return unto thy country, to thy kindred, and I'll deal well with thee. That's the seventh principle of the basis of prayer. The basis of prayer is the word of God. It's what God said. We pray and we base what we pray on what God said. That's why it's so valuable to weave Scripture into our prayer because the basis of prayer The eighth principle is seen in verse 28 where he says, your name's no longer gonna be Jacob, now it's gonna be Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God. What is a prince? A prince is a son, a son. It's like us in John 1, 12. As many as received him, to them gave he the power or the authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That's the principle, the the principle of our position in prayer. Our position in prayer is an adopted son. Now, the ninth principle is seen in verse 29 when it says, and Jacob asked him and said, tell me, I pray thee thy name. That's the principle of the transition of prayer. The transition of prayer goes from the problem as the immediate concern or focus to God himself. So there is a transition which occurs. The problem actually drives us to God himself. And now he starts off and he says, deliver me from Esau. And then he says, you know what my real concern is, is I want to know your name. So that's the, the ninth principle. The tenth principle is seen in verse 30 when he says, I have seen God face to face 
and my life is preserved. That's the blessing of prayer. The blessing of prayer is that we emerge from prayer with more knowledge of God. We emerge from prayer knowing him better, especially as he answers prayer, then we get to know him more and more. I've seen God face to face. And the last principle in verse 31 where it says, and he halted upon his thigh. He halted upon his thigh. So after he emerged from this night, he had less confidence in himself. He was weaker in himself. He was stronger in God. That's the 11th principle of the crippling of prayer, crippling of self, where we are weaker and see ourselves weaker in ourselves, but stronger in God. So 11 principles that we can see in, in chapter 32 about prayer. Now we get into chapter 33, finally. Okay. Now, when we read in chapter 33, where it starts off in chapter 33 with the verse, and Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him 400 men. Let me ask you a question. Does it now seem strange to you that when we read in this verse that Jacob is the first one to see Esau? Does that seem strange to you? I mean, in the last chapter... Do you remember the elaborate orientation that Jacob set everyone in? I mean, what, what, there was a name for those, that orientation that Jacob put together. You remember what the name was? This orientation of all, everybody that Jacob set up to meet Esau? Drove upon drove. It was the drove upon drove orientation. What, what was in the droves that Jacob arranged to meet Esau. Well, drove one was 200 she-goats, and drove two was 20 billy-goats, and drove three was 200 sheep, and drove four was 30 rams, and drove five was 30 milk camels with their colts, and drove six was 40 cows, and drove seven was 20 bulls, and drove eight was 20 female donkeys, and drove nine is, is 10 baby donkeys, and they all had spaces between the droves, and those who, who drove a member were in front of a member, he, he went over with them exactly what we would say. You know, this is a present. Remember, that was the drove upon drove. Where was Jacob? According to verses 18 and 20 of chapter 32. Where was Jacob when you look at uh, verse 18 and 20 of chapter 32? He was behind it all. Verse 18, he is behind us. Verse 20, behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I'll appease him with the present that goeth before me, and afterward I will see his face. And then in verse 21, so went the present over before him, before Jacob. So if Jacob made all of those droves to go in front of him, along with his wives and his children, they were in front of him, how could Jacob be the first one to see Esau in verse 1 of chapter 33? That's right. His perspective changed. See, that's the key. That's the key there. You know, this question, how come you saw him first? You know, God knew you were going to ask that question, so he says, I knew you were going to ask that, so I'll give you the explanation. So he says in verse 1 there, Jacob lifted up his eyes, looked, behold, Esau came with him 400 men, and it goes on. Now you see in verse 3, and he passed over before them, and that's a change, as Diana just said. That's a change. Jacob saw Esau first because Jacob changed his position from being behind everyone to verse 3, and he passed over before them. That's a huge change. 
That was a change where he's no longer in the fear mode of, you know, <laughs> Jacob first and women and children last. <laughs> he's not in that mode anymore, but he's changed from all the animals and the women and children to meet Esau before him, and he's going to hide behind everyone else. And so the, verse 3 represents this huge change he passed over before them. It's a change. A change from what? When you look in verse 7 of the last chapter, it says, Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that was with him. But he's no longer afraid. Why? Because, as his dying said, he's met Jehovah Jesus. And his fear's gone. He's joined his grandfather and letting God take away his fear. God did that in Genesis 15.1 when he said, Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. He's joined his father. He's joined his father Isaac and letting God take his fear away. In Genesis 26.24 where he appeared, God appeared to Isaac and said, I am the God of Abraham, thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee. I'll bless thee. He's become like David. Jacob has become like David, who let God take his fear away when David made God his light and his salvation. When David made God his light and his salvation, something happened, and he described it in Psalm 27.1. He said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? See, that all-night encounter with Jehovah Jesus made Jacob emerge knowing that the Eternal One had just comforted him, giving him a new name of Israel. And so he understood at that point what it says in Isaiah 51, 12, when God says, even I am he that comforteth you. Who art thou that thou shouldst be afraid of a man that shall die? And the Son of Man which shall be made as grass the most tender word that we have in the Bible to not fear by Jehovah Jesus himself is when he said in Luke 12, 32, fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So now Jacob, he's no more in this mode of no longer he's dividing this family into two separate, two greatly separated groups with the idea that only one's going to be slaughtered. And by the way, he did do that in chapter 32. Can you imagine everyone who had to carry out the boss Jacob's first plan of separating all those animals into those droves and memorizing those lines? And that's a lot of work. There was a lot of animals to separate all. And now it's all been abandoned. And how their conversation must have been something like, how come? How come we had to put all those droves together to go with Jacob behind him? And now it's all been abandoned. And, uh, you know, we separated all those animals. Now that all the animals are back together again and Jacob's in front. That was a lot of time and work that was wasted following the first plan. Why did Jacob change his plans? And his response would be, oh, well, Jacob met God. And then Jacob changed it. And then the people would say, well, I wish Jacob would have met God first before he had us do all this wasted work. <laughs> you know? And how many people wish that we had met God before we spring into action, you know? But that's all part of the past. That's part of the past now. He's no longer afraid. There's a confidence in Jacob. He lifts up his eyes. He's fought the battle. He's won the battle already with God. And now Esau is not an issue with him. He's changed from fear to confidence and so this is a lesson here for us because you say, what's the remedy for fear in anyone's life? What's the fear and remedy for fear in my life? What's the remedy for fear in your life? It's a prescription. It's a prescription. It's a prescription of what? A healthy dose of Genesis 32 
Jacob meeting with God taken twice a day, once in the morning, once in the evening, you know, a healthy dose of Peniel, seeing the face of God, the face of the Lord Jesus, twice a day, reading the scriptures morning and evening, and there'll be a recovery from the fear. Now, we pull back, we pull back and we look at Jacob in verse three. We see him in this position. He's passing over before them. And then we look at Jacob, we say, bravo, Jacob, you're taking your role as the head of your family. You're taking your role as their protector. You're taking their role as their representative. You're not running away from your responsibility. Now, he comes to Esau, and we see he does something very significant in verse 3, and he bows himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. He bows, not once, but seven times. He does this to emphasize that he has repented over what he did to Esau and taking advantage of his hunger to get him to sell the birthright of the deception of impersonating him to get his father to give him the blessing. He bows seven times. Now our focus changes to Esau and we get to see this great reunion in verse four where we read, and Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. So what's this? This is Esau who's just overcome. He's overwhelmed with emotion. And he forgets his anger and his threats and his purposes to kill his brother. And there's just an amazing sight to see Esau running, not with a sword in his hand, but with arms wide open. Let me check it. You know, you look at Esau and you say, boy, you know, last time we saw Esau, he was sitting there comforting himself, purposing to kill his brother. And now he's running and we can say, he's free. Esau is free. He's got a freedom. He's free from his anger. He's free from his murderous spirit. See, both Jacob and Esau were in a prison. They were in a prison because of the break in their relationship. Esau's soul was in the prison of anger, and Jacob's soul was in the prison of fear. So Jacob now is coming around to the head of his family. He shows God has released my soul from the prison of fear. That's what Jacob's showing. And Esau, running to meet Jacob, he shows that God has released me from the prison of anger. See, what we're really seeing here in Jacob and Esau is, a, is Jehovah Jesus has worked, and he has worked to free them both, because that's what Jehovah Jesus does He releases souls from prison, from soul prison. David talked about this in Psalm 142.7, where he said, bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thy name. There are many soul prisons, but the two prisons that people most commonly fall into are the prison of anger and the prison of fear and despair or fearful despair. And so when any person is in the prison of anger or the prison of fearful despair, then they don't see God and they don't praise God. That's why David prayed in Psalm 142, verse 7, bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thy name. See, only God can deliver the soul from these two prisons of anger and this fearful despair. And he does that. That's his job. That's what he does. He says in Isaiah 42, 7, he's talking about himself. He says, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. 
And then when the book was given to the Lord Jesus and he was in the synagogue, he opened it to Isaiah 61.1, where he said about himself, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach the good tidings of the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Soul prison. Now, Esau is the first to speak. And he speaks very loudly, but he doesn't speak with words. It's without words. And what did Esau do when he ran to Jacob? He embraced him, and he? And he kissed him, and he? He fell on his neck. He fell on his neck, and he kissed him. See, these are three distinct actions. He embraced Jacob, wide open embrace, spoke much louder than words. It was a speaking of, I'm holding nothing back, no hand in your chest, Jacob, as you approach me, but wide open arms to embrace you. That's the first thing he did. Second thing he did, he fell in his neck. This is pointed out. This is pointed out in scripture. People falling on the neck. They fell on his neck, fell on his neck. You know, the, the neck is just a symbol. It's a place of tenderness. It's also a place spoken of in scripture of yielding or hardening, of yielding or rebelling. And God called that out in Second um, Kings seventeen fourteen. It says, notwithstanding, they would not hear, but they hardened their necks like to the neck of their fathers that did not believe in the Lord their God. In Nehemiah 9, 16, he said, but they and our fathers dealt proudly and hardened their necks and hearkened not to thy commandments. Nehemiah went on further in the next verse and says, they refused to obey in Nehemiah 9, 17. They refused to obey. Neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them, but hardened their necks. In Jeremiah 9, 15, God says, Thus saith the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring upon this city and upon all her towns all the evil that I have pronounced against it, because they have hardened their necks that they might not hear my words. So the neck is a place, tenderness or hardness, yielding or rebelling. He fell on his neck. Then it says he kissed him. He kissed him. Now, these three things that Esau did, the embrace, the falling on the neck, the kissing him, those spoke louder than any words that Jacob could hear. And the message that Esau sent by this was that it's all been forgiven, Jacob. I love you, Jacob. I mean, Esau had reason to hate Jacob. He did. And he had reason to want to hurt Jacob, but he says no. And the weeping was such a loud message that without words it said there's reconciliation. You know, it's interesting. There's no talking until the weeping happens. There's no talking. No words are exchanged until the weeping. The crying was the message that there was complete reconciliation. And then the next verse says, then they talked. But until there was the crying, until there was the weeping, there was no talking. The weeping was an important signal that all was forgiven. There was no hard feelings. There was no anger. There was no thoughts of revenge. No more talk about, about getting even. But love had been restored. That weeping's an important signal. The weeping's an important signal in the restoration of the relationship that had been broken for 20 years. And 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E. Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Starting September 25th, join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. On opening day, September 25th, we'll have Phil's Barbecue with special guest musician Jim Earp. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.